Turn in your Bible, please, tonight to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, and then uh, chapter 1, and then hold your finger there and turn to 2 Timothy, chapter 4. We have a remarkable statement by the Apostle Paul in these two chapters that I think give us the secret of a revival that lasts. A revival that lasts, and that is what on my, it's on my heart tonight to share with us as the Spirit of Jesus has placed this on our hearts. A revival that lasts. The songwriter said, in times like these we need revival. In times like these, oh, be not idle. Be very sure, be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. And one reason we do not have perennial, continual revival in our hearts is because we have not obeyed one little word, or we have not recognized or realized the significance of one little word in these two passages of Scripture. And so I want to lay that on our hearts tonight. May we pray together. Father, we thank Thee for this opportunity to be in God's house tonight. Thank You for what we've already experienced, beautiful songs and the gathering together of the people of the Lord. We pray that Thy Spirit would touch lost souls and give, give to Christians a desire that leads to reality to see people come to Jesus. Help us to get out of ourselves and to get into Thee, to get excited about the thing that has changed our lives. We might go on to victory in Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen. Reading from 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning with verse 12. You recognize immediately this as Paul's testimony. This is the introduction to his testimony. He gives the last part of his testimony in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, in that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Nevertheless, for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them who should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which pointed to thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding forth, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwrecked, of whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. And 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 6. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, 
and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Now that's Paul's testimony. I like to hear testimonies. This afternoon, those seniors blessed my heart with their testimonies. From time to time, we have testimonies in these services. The Gideons were here some time ago, and they shared some testimonies about the Word of God. I like to hear testimonies. This is Paul's testimony. Now, when we think of the Apostle Paul, remember that he was a contemporary of the Lord Jesus. I'm not sure how old he was when the Lord was crucified. It's possible that Paul had already come to Jerusalem. I, I sort of think he had. He was studying at the feet of Gamaliel. He had heard about Jesus. He didn't like Jesus because he was so surrounded by his own peers. He was surrounded by the, by the rabbis in the rabbinical school. He couldn't have helped knowing about Jesus, but he was among those who were against him. Perhaps Paul was one of those in the city streets of Jerusalem who cried out, crucify, crucify. For he says here that he blasphemed. He was before injurious, but he did it ignorantly in unbelief. And then on the road to Damascus, after he had heard that thrilling testimony by that, that young man, Stephen, and, and, and ladies and gentlemen, don't ever undersell the importance of a testimony. From time to time we have testimonies and occasionally, just occasionally, very, very seldom, but I'll hear somebody say, oh, well, I've heard that before, or I've given my testimony before. I don't have anything new to say. Shame on us if we have nothing new to say. The old story of when you got saved never gets old, but how important it is for us to get it updated day by day and tell some exciting thing, important thing, some answer to prayer, some way God has blessed, some way we've seen God in the sunset or the sunrise or in God's working in somebody's life or in something along the way. Stephen was telling about Jesus on the street corner. Stephen one of those first deacons of Acts chapter 6. And Paul hated Jesus. He hated everything about the Christian faith. And so when they started stoning Stephen, Saul was standing over there sort of saying amen or whatever rabbis do and clapping his hands maybe or something. And, and he let them put their cloaks, coats down at his feet and he consented to the death of Stephen. And just before Stephen died, he looked up and he saw Jesus. And he said, I see Jesus. I see Jesus. And he's standing at the right hand of the Father. Now, anybody that knows anything about the Bible knows that was a very significant statement on Stephen's part because when Jesus went back to the glory of the Father, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the Father. But when Stephen is dying for his faith, Jesus is standing up there in honor of that first Christian martyr. And Stephen said, I see Jesus. And Oh, that pierced the heart of Saul of Tarsus. And he never got over it. He never got over it. He was never the same again. And listen, nobody can tell how important your testimony is. It may be that someone will pick up some little phrase, some little thought, some little word from something you say about our Lord, and it will make the difference in hell and heaven to them. On the way to Damascus to put to death Christians there, over and over and over again, there went that phrase, I see Jesus, I see Jesus in the mind of Saul. 
And he tried to say, well, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Jesus is dead. I saw him crucified. Jesus is dead. I see Jesus. I see Jesus. And he's standing at the right hand of the Father. And they got near Damascus. And suddenly, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And old Saul got down on his face and said, who are you, sir? And the voice came back, I am Jesus, and thou persecutest. And Saul said, Lord, what will you have me to do? This is the rest of his testimony. He said, I did all that ignorantly in unbelief. There's one little word in the first chapter of 1 Timothy that is the key to perennial revival in our hearts, in our lives. I want you to circle it. It's a very simple word. You almost pass it over. Verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath, what? Enabled me. He's the one that enabled me. Hey, Paul, how could you go at that all those years from the time the Lord was crucified until maybe 30 or 40 years later when you died on the Appian Way outside the city of Rome? How did you keep at it? How did you constantly have that burden on your soul that said, my old brethren, I could wish myself accursed. I could wish myself damned in hell for my brother and my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul, how could you do that? How could you do it when they stoned you, when they whipped you, when they lashed you, when you went into prisons, and when people made fun of you, and they, they, they just gawked at you? Oh, Paul, how could you do that? How could you go through all that for Jesus? Oh, Paul says it's simple. He enabled Do you have the enabling power of God in your life? I know we all get discouraged sometimes. There's not a one person in this room who hasn't had some defeat since he got saved. Is there anybody here tonight who could stand and say, or just lift your hand and say, since I got saved, since the day I gave my heart to Jesus, I've never been defeated at all by the devil. Lift your hand. Not anybody. We're all, we've all, we're all the same common lot. We've all gotten defeated. So did Paul. He got defeated. Well, Paul, how'd you keep on going? How did you just keep at it? What'd you do? What happened? What, 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 kind of, what was the secret of your life? What kind of a drugs did you take? What kind of Hattie call? Or what kind, what'd you take to keep on going at it? Did you drink coffee every morning with cream and sugar in it? Or, or, or did you drink a Coke that pause that refreshes? Paul, how did you do it? Oh, Paul says, very simple. He enabled me. He enabled me. I had to lean heavy on him. And when the burdens got greater, I had to lean heavier. And when they almost weighed me down, I had to put my whole support on him. He was the man. My beloved friend, we're going to have some defeats. Paul had them. He said one time, Man, I had a thorn in my flesh. I don't know what that was. Some people say it was poor eyesight. Other people say it was a lame limb. He just limped around everywhere he went. He might have, I don't know. I've heard some say they think it was a, that Paul was subject to depression. 
If any of you have ever been subject to depression, you've gotten discouraged and defeated along the way and you just had to reach up to touch bottom and you just felt like quitting. That might have been Paul's thorn. I don't know what it was. But he begged God three times, oh God, please remove this. Paul, when did you have time to pray like that? I don't see any place in your life where you ever got discouraged and defeated and quit. I don't see that. Well, it must have been out there in his private prayer times or maybe when he was talking privately to Timothy. Oh my, I'd like to get in on some of those conversations he had with young Timothy. Timothy helped Paul a whole lot. Or maybe, listen, it could be that Paul leaned on Demas pretty hard. Demas was his dear friend. Far as Paul knew, Demas was a great Christian, loved the Lord with all of his soul, mind, and heart. That's the reason it broke his heart when he had to write to Timothy at the end of his life over in the Roman prison, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas, the man that I poured my heart out to. Well, the man that, that I, I told about my discouragements and some of my defeats and my hurts, Demas hath forsaken me. And listen, you're going to have some Demases in your life along the way who will forsake you. People that were closer to you than a brother or a sister or a husband or a wife or a mother or daddy. You will have poured out some of your hurts to them and they'll take off and they'll leave you. And through it all, Paul testified, I learned to lean on Jesus. I learned to lean on him. He is my enabler. He is my enabler. Paul, Paul, I don't understand how you did it. You just kept on going and kept on going and kept on going. Didn't you ever get tired? Didn't you ever get discouraged? Didn't you ever say, well, I want to go home and just sit and watch television tonight? Now, I don't suppose they had television in those days. They had some other things, games. I think I'll go down and watch the Olympics. Just going to go take off everything. Those old people over at Ephesus can go to hell. Those old people over there at Philip Island care about them. I'm going to go and ha ha, hooray, hooray, woo wee. Scream and shout and holler over the games. Paul, did you do that? I don't read about it in the Bible. He might have, I don't know. But I want to tell you, he never got sidetracked. He never got sidetracked. He just kept right on going. Kept right on going. Right on. Paul, how'd you do that? How on earth did you do that? Paul, didn't your mother ever die? Didn't your daddy ever die? Didn't you get discouraged and defeated when the closest, what happened, what happened in your love life, Paul? There are some who tell us that Paul was married. And when he got really going for God, his wife d- d- left him. She said, Brother Paul, I didn't marry a preacher. Didn't expect to be a preacher's wife. I'm not going to take this. And she left. The reason they say that is because in order to be a member of the Sanhedrin, you were supposed to have had a wife and at least one child. And apparently Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin. I don't know whether that's true or not because there's no scriptural evidence about it. Paul, what did you do about your love life? He said, uh, Jesus enabled me. Jesus enabled me. He, he took care. He was right there all the time. He never left me, forsake me for a moment. He was right there. Uh, Paul, Paul, I don't understand this. Now, do you mean to tell me 
that you just kept right on going all the time? Yeah, he said, I was at Ephesus, and I ceased not three for three years to warn publicly and in the temple and from house to house with tears. He enabled me. Jesus enabled me. That's how I did it. That's how you can do it. Do you really want a revival? I mean a revival, not a spurt, not some kind of splash. I believe in, I believe in these meetings we have. You know that. Somebody said, preacher, you believe in a lot of them. Yeah, I do. We have a lot of them. I'd like to have five a year. Somebody said, well, revivals don't last. Neither does a bath, but it sure does help every Saturday night. <laughs> I believe in those revival meetings, but I'm going to tell you, we don't just need that kind of splash. We don't just need that kind of flash. We don't need just to have times of when we get together and sing and enjoy that little spiritual festival for a while for a week. I believe in that. But that's not really what God wants to give. He wants to give you a, a lasting revival. Jesus said to that woman at the Samaritan well, if you, he asked her for a drink of water and she said, why, why sir, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink of me who am a Samaritan? Did you not know you're a stranger in these parts? Didn't you know that the Samaritans and the Jews don't have any dealings with each other? And the Lord said, woman, if you knew who it was that asked of you a drink, you'd ask of him and he'd give you living water and you'd never thirst again. Living water? Yeah, living water. You'd never thirst again. Oh, sir, tell me more. And Jesus said, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But that water shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Oh, she said, she said, oh, you know, she was so excited about it. She said, no, 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 wait a minute. I don't understand this. She said, uh, we Jews, I mean, we Samaritans say you ought to worship in Mount Gerizim. See, she changed the subject. She got religious on him. How, how often do we get religious on the Lord? Now, Lord, you know this and this and this. Our Father who art in heaven, God of the mighty storms and the tempests and the winds and on and on and on and on instead of just praying some simple prayer that God can understand, we can understand. She said, uh, we Samaritans think you ought to worship here at Mount Gerizim and you Jews teach that you ought to worship down to Jerusalem. And the Lord said, dear lady, the time is coming when they're not going to worship at Gerizim or Jerusalem. For they who worship the Lord must worship Him in spirit and in truth, for God is spirit. And then the Lord said, go call your husband. Oh, I don't have any husband. That's right, you don't have any. You've had five of them. You lived with this one for a while and this one for a while. And they, none of them satisfied you. And the guy you're living with now, you didn't even bother to marry him because he didn't satisfy you either. She looked at him and she said, I perceive that you're a prophet. We've been told that the Messiah should come. Now listen to this, Jesus said, I that speak to thee am he. When she heard that, she left her water pots and went down to Samaria, to Sychar, and she said to those men with whom she had sinned, come and see a man that told me everything I'd ever done. 
God changed your life that day. Hey, Samaritan woman, how did you do that? What happened to you? How come you could leave your old water pots, the old things that you'd carried your sin around in? How could you leave all that stuff down there and all those old men that you'd sinned with? How did you leave all those appetites of the flesh and the lust of the flesh? How did you leave that? I think she'd say, he enabled me. He enabled me. Just like Paul said that. We don't need spiritual spurts. We need real revival. And I want to say to each individual, I wish you could subtract everybody else that's in this room tonight and feel that I'm speaking just to you and me. You and I need the enabling power of God. So that if everybody else deserts, Husband doesn't understand. Wife doesn't understand. Children don't understand. Mom doesn't understand. Dad doesn't understand. Nobody understands. If none go with me, I still will follow because I've enlisted with him who talked about dying to self. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He is the enabler. And so when Paul got to the end of his way, he could write to Timothy up by himself, lonely in that Roman prison. And I, re I believe that the reason verse 10 is in there, Demas hath forsaken me. The more I read about that, the more I become convinced that Demas was one of Paul's closest friends, closest associates. Charles Weigel loved his wife very, very, very much. There came a day when she said, honey, I love you, but I can't take what you're doing. You're always at this task of serving God. I can't take it. I don't want you to do it anymore. You either quit or I'm going to leave. What would you do that if your wife said that or your husband said that? Charlie said that. Lord, help me. God, please help me. Lord, help me. He came back, I think it was the next day, or maybe a few days later, and he said, Honey, I love you more than I could ever tell you, but I love Jesus most. And he's my Lord, and he's called me to do this. She packed her things and left and took their little girl. Charles Weigel walked the floor in loneliness, heartache. You imagine that. Hurt, despair, discouragement. Some friends came to see him and Charlie said, Charlie, now you better quit preaching. Just quit preaching. You know that you can't preach anymore. You can't sing anymore. Just quit it all. Charlie got along with God and God showed Charlie this passage of Scripture from 1 Timothy. He hath enabled me. And he said, Lord, I'm going to trust your enabling power. He went back to preaching. He held city meetings. People got saved. Some Pharisees stood on the sidelines and talked against him, talked about him. How judgmental people are. But he went on serving God. Out of that awful heartbreak, he wrote, I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus. 
since I found in him a friend so strong and true, I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. He is the enabler. And I want to say to the beloved people of Glendale Baptist Church, to all of our husbands, all of our wives, all of our children, all of our teenagers, all of our preachers, all of our deacons, all of our teachers, all of us, your enabler is not your pastor. Your enabler is not your husband, nor your wife, nor your deacon, nor your teacher. Your enabler is God. And if you lean on Him and let His Holy Spirit fill you with His love, You don't have to quit. You don't have to go through spurts. You don't have to say, well, I'm going to drop out for a while and rest. I'm just tired. God's Spirit won't let you do that. Shame on you. Anybody that's filled with God's Spirit that says, I'm tired, I'm going to quit. I love you, but you didn't get that. Paul didn't get it from God, neither do you. Will you ever get it from God? You can't quit on God. Because he's the enabler. When you quit, you're just showing that you're not full of God. I'm not saying you're not saved, but I'm saying you're full of something beside God. You figure out what it is. Paul said, I die daily. Why, Paul, Brother Paul, why in the world do you die daily? Because, you see, I'm so full of self, I have to die to myself all the time, constantly. You mean Monday you have to die? Yeah, Tuesday, yeah, Wednesday, Thursday, every day, every day, have to die every day. And then he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live. By the faith, not my faith, my puny old childlike faith. I don't have enough faith, but I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and lifted me and takes me near his heart day by day. He is the enabler. Are you full of the enabling power of God tonight? Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Father, we thank Thee for a revival that lasts in Saul of Tarsus' life become Paul as he marched for 35 or 40 years across the pages of the New Testament and the then known world, telling everybody about Jesus. Lord, do it again in our lives, in our lives. I pray that You'll give a, a thirst and a quest in everybody here, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, every child, every teenager, everybody, give us that eternal desire to be enabled by God, God's precious Holy Spirit. God grant that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand, please? I want to ask tonight as we sing, if there's anybody here hungry for God's power,
thirsty for God's power. You want that enabling power so that you'd say, Lord, I'll never quit on you. I'll never quit on you. I may feel like it, but I'm not going to quit because you won't let me. Your spirit in me won't let me. I'm going to go on with Jesus. There's somebody here tonight that needs to come out publicly for the Lord. You've been a secret disciple. You haven't followed the Lord in baptism because you've been afraid. You couldn't give up the old way. I beg you tonight to come out and serve God and stand for Him. There's somebody here tonight that has just uh, waited on the sidelines because you've been defeated by some old habit. You've been defeated by the devil and he's tricked you and trapped you into believing that you can't have victory. You can have victory. The enabler is not the preacher. The enabler is not the church. The enabler is the Holy Spirit, the precious Spirit of Jesus, and he'll help you. He said he would. Paul found it true. I thank God that he enabled me, and he is your enabler. He'll help you. He'll strengthen you. He'll give you courage. There's somebody here tonight who has been called to preach, and you've been waiting on the sidelines because you're scared that you can't serve God. You're, you're afraid that you couldn't hold out and you couldn't go on with God. God will help you. He said he would. There's somebody here tonight that's just been playing at the game of Jesus. Just playing at it. You've sing these little ditties that we sing. That's all they are to you. My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. And for thee all the follies of sin I resign. And that's a lie because you don't resign one single folly. Why don't you do it tonight? And just say, by the grace of God, I want God to enable me to be his servant, to be what he wants me to be. Be filled with Jesus. Be filled with the enabling power of God. I don't know what God has said to you. I know I've delivered a message that God laid on my heart to deliver. You do what you will with it. Whatever you do, do it quickly. As God's Holy Spirit lays it on your heart what to do, somebody ought to move your letter to this church tonight. Somebody ought to come and say, I want to be baptized and serve God. Someone ought to come and say, I've, I've not really been filled with God's Spirit and I want to be. Somebody may need to come and say, I've been filled with so many childish little old jealousies and looking at them through the eyes of Jesus, I see how foolish they are. Do what God tells you to do tonight for Jesus' sake while we begin to sing. Will someone come tonight for Christ?